I'm Erin Delmore, and as we work, we're learning to love our commute. No, really! I listen to podcasts. You have to zen yourself to come into work, because you never know what to expect. I sleep. I sleep on the bus. There's only one stop. Nice and easy. I look at emails, I text, I look at Facebook. I don't mind it, because it gives me time to just kind of do my own thing. This is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. That's Bridget Valentin, Dom Prisco, and Karen Schwartz. We spoke to them on the streets of New York City. Coming up on the show, we're zeroing in on that window of time that so many love to hate, the commute. Now back in nearly full force for many of us after years of working from home. Can you learn to not hate it? Even to love it? Our guests today say yes, and they'll show us how. Stay with us. This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years with expertise across income and alternatives. Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. How much do Americans hate commuting? So much so that 4 in 10 say they'd rather clean their toilets than engage in the daily schlep to and from work, according to a survey by communications platform RingCentral. And can you blame them? Public transit ridership is at its highest point in two and a half years, according to the American Public Transportation Association. The price of gas hit an eye-popping high this summer. And in a way that's harder to measure, the commute feels like another symptom of our changing attitudes about work high on the chopping block among things we'd rather not revisit from the before times. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to be this way. Our guests today are firmly in the camp of people who say your commute can actually be one of the best hours of your day. I was skeptical. So let's start in Los Angeles, because a lot of things about Los Angeles are iconic. The Hollywood sign, the Walk of Fame, Rodeo Drive and Sunset Boulevard, and traffic. It's so inherently part of L.A. that it got a spotlight in the opening scene of the award-winning movie La La Land. Of course, not everyone feels like breaking into dance when they're in bumper-to-bumper traffic. But Jules Gillow does. All right, Jules, I want you to be totally honest with me. Do you like your commute? I do. Really? I do like my commute, and this is a new concept for me as I've gotten a little bit older and more into my career. Wow. Okay, so it's a new concept for you. How is this working? <laughs> How did you learn to love your commute? It's funny because I was working remotely for two straight years. And as soon as we had to go back to the office, I immediately was thinking about how much I was dreading my commute. And I realized that, okay, how long can I complain about this? Like how long until I make a change internally? And I'm like, let's try to make this a positive thing. So what I decided to do was just change my mindset. So take me back to the moment when you said to yourself, I want to make this time for me. I want to learn how to love it. When was it? I just started a new job and I was having a candid conversation 
with my therapist complaining about how much more productive I am at home. She gave me some really good advice. She's like, this is time that you're not going to get back. Like you might as well use it to work on yourself. Like use it for yourself selfishly. You have a million things going on all at once. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. This is why you're a therapist and I'm not. (laughs) Well, I kind of like this. Use it for yourself selfishly because you're going back and forth to your job. And that's a requirement. Regardless if it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, however long the commute is that day in LA, it's time that you're not going to get back. So however I'm feeling that day, if I really need some energy, I'll listen to some music to just charge myself up. Or if I'm feeling... Like I want a motivational speech, then I'll put a podcast on. But I think the mindset shift really came from just realizing time is precious. Like life is precious. And I spend eight hours a day working really hard for a company. It's like, what time do I have for myself? If we're in the car two hours a day, two hours times three, you know, it adds up. And each week, it's, it's, it's so much time. I hear you talking about it. And it's so appealing, and it's such a humbling reminder to myself, you know, that every moment matters. But how do you do it? So this is not my concept, but it's a concept called red light meditation. When you arrive at a red light, instead of looking at it as, ugh, I got stuck at a red light, you look at it as a moment to check in with yourself and say, how am I feeling today? You know, use that time, two seconds, five minutes to just check in with yourself because sometimes we don't have people to check in on us, you know? So it's, it's really, like I said, just being more mindful and being selfish about yourself. So can you condition yourself to feel differently? I mean, I'm wondering after weeks of doing this, when you, Jules, arrive at a red light, do you feel more relaxed and you feel your blood pressure go down because you know that this is your moment where you're checking in on yourself? Or are you still like rage-filled and then you need to consciously redirect? No. I So I actually thoroughly believe that if you put this into practice and a, a key tip is giving yourself enough time to get to the office so you can do this. And if that's yeah. leaving 15 minutes early, then so be it. You know, this is your time. It's definitely difficult. I remember when I was first starting this, I'm like, dude, this traffic is horrible. There's potholes everywhere. Like construction is always happening. Like they've been working on the same street for 20 years. You know, like when is this construction <laughs> going to end? Like this is horrible. And it probably took me like a good three to four weeks to like really notice a difference in my mindset. Do you ever slip out of the mindset that you want to be in where you're living in the moment and enjoying yourself? As soon as you enter the office parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) What does that feel like? I would describe that as I know that my commute or my mindfulness moment is over as soon as I see the logo of my building. And it's like, okay, that was amazing. Like I just had a little internal check-in and or like dance party with myself for the day. It's time to get to work. And it's, I always end up feeling super recharged that way. Wow. I want to steal that. <laughs> and that's without coffee, by the way. Without coffee. I mean, just imagine what's going to happen to your commute when you start adding coffee back in. You're going to be amped. Life-changing. Yeah, maybe. Exactly. So what advice do you have for our listeners? I would say really practice getting into the habit of checking in with yourself every single morning when you get into the car and just pause and take a breath and enjoy that moment that you're going to spend with yourself and whatever 
you want to do that day, whether it's listen to your favorite album, put on your favorite podcast, use that moment selfishly. Can I challenge you here? Sure. Are you using that time selfishly? I think so. Because to me, you're arriving at your job and you seem buoyant and energized and relaxed. And I'm sure your colleagues appreciate that. And, you know, does that carry you through the day? Are you sure it's selfish? I think it is. And the only reason I say that is because I feel great. And you just mentioned my coworkers recognizing a difference. Every single coworker of mine always says, it looks like you're walking on clouds. Really? When you're walking around the office, like you're just buzzing around. And I was not always like that. Okay. So headline for me here is, Jules prescribes real pump-up jams for happiness. Is that? Perfect. Okay. And any old school R&B. Nice. So that's how Jules Gillow found her zen behind the wheel, doing red light meditations and dancing to old school R&B. I'm going to try her tips for getting my day off on the right foot. Next up, we're putting our money where our mouth is. Or maybe I should say putting the pedal to the metal and learning from an expert who researched what people like about their commutes. And she has tips for how we can do it, too. Stay with us. ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. The best part of the day isn't the same for everyone. For some people, like Jules, time spent dancing in the car can be the perfect way to gear up for the day. But for others... The morning commute is best deployed as a time to plan. That's what Julia Lee Cunningham from the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business says. She worked on a study about commuting, and part of its title is Commuting as an Opportunity. How glass half full is that? So Julia, let's talk about the people you researched who enjoy their commutes. How are they choosing to spend their time? What we found in the research is that it's not just about what they actually do, um, to be productive, but it's more about how they actually set aside a few minutes, either at the beginning of their commute or at the end of their commute, to really think proactively about what is coming up next. So that by the time uh, they are actually at work, they are not feeling as rushed because they know their priorities already. The people who do enjoy their time commuting tends to really think of it as a as a gift to them in some ways. Huh. They tend to think of it as a protected time where they don't really necessarily need to be, let's say, the mother, the caregiver, the type of specific identities associated with being at home. Or they're also not really at work yet. I think it kind of gave them a little bit of freedom from both roles without feeling overwhelmed by both roles. Well, distance is a funny word because (laughs) you might laugh at this. I mean, I sometimes do. But I physically closed the door to my home office on Friday Mm -hmm. after work. 
and it just stays closed until Monday morning now. Yeah. That sounds a little bit like the separation that you're talking about. Yes, I am talking about that separation. And that is one way to do it. All of the things that you mentioned that you do are helpful to some certain extent. But having some commuting time in between as like a buffer um, somehow was a positive um thing that we used to have that people ended up missing a little bit. And of course, I'm not talking about people who used to commute like hours and hours. And I used to be one of them. In my 20s, I used to uh, travel up to four hours a day. Um, wow. and, and that was pretty painful. I would I can confidently yeah. say that that was very, very hard. I would say my driving skills are not above average. And there <laughs> that's was very a big lot of you to of, admit. <laughs> I know. And there was not a lot of, <laughs> not a lot of things to do. At the time, there was no podcast. So when I was commuting at six days a week in Seoul, I can say with confidence that commuting for me with lots of traffic was a special kind of hell. <laughs> Did you just tell me that you were commuting up to four hours a day, six days a week? Yes. Okay, Julia, you had a part-time job just driving. I know, I know. <laughs> I arrived at work exhausted, and I really did not like driving in traffic. And e eventually, though, I figured out a creative way to make it work for me. So once I got in a car, I would first spend some time thinking about, okay, what are the biggest chunk of the day that I need to handle um, huh. or that week or that month? And it's not like I particularly enjoy the job. But um, I was thinking, okay, my ultimate goal is to go to the United States and get advanced degrees. So I spent the rest of my time studying my second language, which is English, with the English radio station. So I got to spend my commuting time feeling like I was getting closer to the goal that I had. So when you talk about ways to make our commute better, are we talking about being more productive on our commute or just enjoying it more? I mean, what's actually our goal? I'm not saying that one should really use this time to, you know, write five books or do something that would be contributing to your career success. And that is not what I'm trying to argue. What I'm saying is that everyone can really just spend a couple of minutes thinking about what's coming up next so that you are not as stressed about those tasks when you get to work so that you can actually be uh, not only productive, but also a little bit healthier when you get to work. Help me make a game plan. <laughs> How do I make my commute better? I would try to plan it ahead of time a little bit. If you can set aside some time to think about you know, what are the big things that I need to achieve and what are, what are the first thing that I am going to do at work instead of jumping into all these emails that piled up already when, when you're traveling. Usually people's... Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I take the train to work. If I want to field an email, I can. But let's say I have two hands on the wheel, mm -hmm. 10 and 2. What can I do to make my commute better? I might not be able to start drafting my notes on that big project or the paper that I have due. What should I be doing? I would just simulate the day. Okay, here are the big things that I will be doing, most important meetings or most important tasks. And then 
sort of picture it in your mind and uh, think about, okay, how do I decide what's most important to me today to do? And then how do I get to work and, and resist the temptation to jump into emails and uh, carve out that time to do the most important thing first? So that's what I would do if I um, have a choice of... But- Julia, that sounds a lot less fun than listening to Taylor Swift's new album. That is true. (laughs) But you get to listen to that on your commute back home. Oh, so is that like my candy bar at the end of the day? (laughs) I would recommend doing that. So on my commute back, I would pack in a lot of the things that will bring me joy, whether that's like a more of a relaxation, mindfulness thing. You can put in a lot of uh, things if you have a long commute, especially. I would say it is better to start your day by thinking ahead first, and then you can fill in other tasks and other things that can bring you a lot of joy and energy. When it comes to having a better commute, being productive is at the top of Julia Lee Cunningham's list. She says using our morning commute time for planning ensures a smoother day ahead. And then feel free to relax a bit on your way home. Next up, we're getting advice for how to deal with something very different than your average day at work. We're tackling how to make a comeback after your worst day at work. That's in our pro tip. Next. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. And finally today, our pro tip. What happens when you give work your all? but it doesn't work out. And your best laid plans go up in flames. Wall Street Journal columnist Callum Borchers is here to share his best tips for how to make a comeback after a setback. Cal, so tell us, how do you do it? How do you come back from a giant career-crushing moment? Well, the reality is it sometimes involves a little time in the wilderness, right? So, I mean, if you're like a CEO and you flamed out after, let's say, a year or less, you may not land another plum CEO job right away. And speaking with executive search pros specialize in this kind of thing, what they told me is what we want to find out from a, a leader who did flame out after a short stint is what did they learn from it, right? So you're going to get those tough questions. What would you have done differently if you get another crack at it? And so that might mean you need to take a little time off. There's some other thing. You need kind of a period of reflection, you know, and then when it's time to jump back into the game, you need to be able to convince folks that you take responsibility for, for what went wrong and that you're going to do better the next time. So does staging a comeback get harder the bigger the spotlight you have on yourself? Well, I think it gets harder the more public the flameout was, right? It can come down to just sort of the self-doubt that creeps in. You know, it was interesting. I spoke with a, a guy named Jamie Grant, for example, who for a brief time uh, led a theater in California. It was kind of a dream job and it just didn't work out. It wasn't a good fit. And within a year he was gone and he told me, you know, it, it was really hard waking up for the first time in my career with without a job and kind of wondering what, what went wrong. And, and he said what helped him was actually talking to a friend of his 
who's a professional hockey coach who's been fired a few times, as sports coaches tend to be. And what he concluded was, you know, it's not necessarily an indictment of my skill set. Sometimes it really is just not the right fit. So beyond even looking to land your next job or figuring out how to take your next steps, some of the work has to be done inside, huh? I think that part of it comes down to kind of rebuilding that confidence. Um, you know, I, I think about the sports analogy sometimes, right? A star athlete who suffers a big injury or, or a crushing loss. And then how do you rebuild that confidence and keep coming back over and over? Whether it's sports, business, whatever the form is, you can look in and say, look, even the very best people go through those tough stretches. But does that make us all more tolerant of when we see somebody else have a setback because we see people in the public eye, athletes, business leaders, politicians overcoming it? Well, you'd like to think so. I'm not sure that we're always so charitable, right? I mean, I think there is sometimes a little bit of that, uh, you know, schadenfreude of looking and saying, oh, mm. boy, I'm sort of glad to see somebody get knocked back down to size. I mean, Martha Stewart comes to mind, right? I mean, she's one of the all-time great comebacks, you know, but uh, certainly there were uh, people who were, you know, happy to see her kind of humble. But look, here she comes, right? She's she's back on top of the, uh, what, would we, what would we call it, the, the, the domestic world, the home decor yeah. world, the cooking, whatever. What does she not do? I think she's even got uh, like a social world. media empire, right? The, every, the DIY world. Exactly. So, you know, there are people who are just kind of uh, unstoppable. You know, they, they, they'll get knocked down for a little while, but they just keep on coming back up. And so I think that one of the takeaways from my reporting on this subject was what can you learn from those people and, and how do they do it? And, and I think one of the common themes was either a, a tremendous amount of confidence or, or if not, a, a, just an, an indomitable ability to overcome and manage your self-doubt, right? It's not necessarily that you don't have that self-doubt, but you're able to kind of compartmentalize it and keep getting back up. So Cal says, when you get knocked down, keep getting back up and knock out that voice in your head that's amplifying your self-doubt. In other words, be gracious with yourself. And while you're at it, why not extend that grace to others? We're thinking about gratitude next week on the show. It's almost Thanksgiving after all. So how do we show our thanks to our colleagues? And what are the best ways for our bosses and coworkers to show their thanks to us? That's next week. But for now, I'm saying thanks to you for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe so we can catch you right back here next week. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Jonathan Sanders is a master of multitasking. And he's our booking producer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. And our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. I'm Erin Delmore. See you next time. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.